Well, the college basketball season came to a close last night. It was a thrilling victory for the team on the other side of the mountain. Welcome in. Today is Tuesday, April 9th. This is the Rocktown Sports Pod by the Daily News Record. I'm Greg Medea, the JMU football beat writer at the paper. And we're going to start with some college sports talk on today's episode of the podcast. Uh, we got Shane Metlin, the JMU basketball beat writer, also does lacrosse and softball. Uh, also sports editor Jim Sacco here as well. Before we get into some of the JMU stuff, though, i got to ask kind of your thoughts about the game last night. It was Virginia 85, Texas Tech 77. Game went no overtime. You got the full redemption story for UVA after last year's uh, early exit in the NCAA tournament. Uh, you got a great kind of series of games in this tournament. I mean, kind of an incredible run for the Cavaliers. Some thrilling, kind of unbelievable type victories mixed in there. Uh, what do you guys kind of just think about how it all ended uh, for Virginia? Um, I guess I'd say it was uh, probably fitting that it ended that way again last night after three straight games with the, them trailing in the final seconds and figuring out a way to uh, get through it and kind of I guess emblematic of the complete turnaround from last year, like uh, you mentioned. Yeah, last year obviously they bowed out as the first overall, first number one seed to lose to a 16 when I lost to UMBC. Jim, you were in the office last night putting together the paper. Uh, I know we're not in Charlottesville, but you got enough readers in the Harrisonburg area that care about the, the one of the state's um, you know main college sports programs and, and college basketball teams. I was streaming the game on one window of my computer, and then in the other window I had uh, TweetDeck open because I like to get that. You know, I kind of like what people are saying. And, and two things crossed my mind as the game was winding down, and it was a fantastic game. Cause, you know, and I love narrative busters. And that game, you know, everyone was complaining about how boring that game was going to be with two defenses, and then it turned out to be. Uh, a fantastic game, and I believe the AP wrote about it in their analysis afterward. It's you know the reason Virginia Tech won was because of their defense. Virginia, I'm, Virginia, excuse me, Virginia. <laughs> the reason Virginia got to that point, excuse me, was because of their defense. The reason they won that game was because they made offensive adjustments, and it was their offense that rose to the occasion. I thought that was pretty spot on. But while watching the game and watching Twitter, two things crossed my mind. The first one being, as I know. UVA fans don't want to hear this, but I mean, does Tony Bennett's coaching game, can that translate to the NBA was one of the things I was thinking about. Is that is this the kind of coach who can make that next step? Again, you know, they don't want to hear about that in Charlottesville. That was one of the things I was thinking about. You know, what do you think? I mean, you're a basketball guy. I mean, does that, does his, Shane, does his coaching style translate maybe to the next level? I think it probably does. I, there's been talk about, you know, if he would be interested in NBA jobs for a few years now, um, you know, especially maybe as, you know, sort of the underbelly of the whole recruiting world gets exposed more and more here. I, you know, that's the kind of thing he's never been, at least from what we can tell, has never been the kind of guy who wants to get, you know, his hands dirty and that kind of thing. Um, you know, so that could always be, you know, a possibility. I, I'd see him being more likely to leave for the NBA than another college program at this point. I was going to say, it's kind of funny because last year after they had lost, people were saying, well, maybe Tony Bennett's not the right guy for UVA, uh, even though he's built it into this great thing. It's just funny how quickly in a year the whole complete narrative can change with a program. Uh, and, and, yeah, I think that's that's kind of a, an interesting point you bring up. Is it is it more likely to leave uh, for, for an NBA job as, a, as opposed to getting kind of displaced from UVA just because maybe the two sides weren't meant to be weren't meant to be together, even though he's had so much success at that school. That, it's just kind of a fascinating uh, thing to, to watch 
evolve. That was the first thing I was – my second thing I was wondering was did Virginia leave an empty trophy case for this national championship like Virginia Tech did for football? But that's just me trolling Virginia Tech fans. <laughs> I, I, I'm sure – I. Well, we'll have to ask Cody later. No. We'll have to we'll ask Cody later on. No. But in that game, DeAndre Hunter, 27 points. Kyle Guy, most outstanding player of the NCAA tournament, 24 points. Uh, pretty pretty good contributions from the, from the main guys there for UVA. Jerome as well at 16. Yeah, it was their you know big three guys that they've kind of relied on all year offensively with uh, you know Jerome Hunter and Guy. Um you know, stepping up even more, you know, than normal with, you know, those kinds of games. You don't see a guy score 27 points at UVA all that often because, you know, sometimes that's half of what they score in a game. Although Kyle Guy's had a few of those games where he's gone off for 30, but, you know, it, it's been pretty rare over the years. What of, of the three, of the, the last three games, you got the, the Elite Eight game versus Purdue, which they – they pulled out of their butts, I guess, so to say. Uh, you, you look at the, the Auburn game the other day in the Final Four. Was it was it a foul? Was it not a foul? Kyle Guy hits the free three free throws, and then this the, the last night, uh, the, the late night game where uh, UVA find finds a way to win after uh, you know it looked like there with you know a few seconds left that they weren't going to be able to win that game. Which one to you guys was kind of the more unlikely victory, and in, in what was kind of an unbelievable run? I'm going to go with the the Purdue game because just from the standpoint is I think there was no there's you know and I hate to put the refs I hate let, hate to let the referees decide what I thought was the the primo game for a team but I mean there was no quote unquote controversial whistle in that one there was no quote unquote going back to the monitor did it go off out did it go out off his fingertips did it not go off out off his fingertips I think that was probably the most UVA pull it out of your butt victory of the tournament. Yeah, probably because you think about that play, several guys got their hands on the ball. It wasn't any of those star players we were just talking about who took the shot or made the pass or any of that. I mean, you know, that that's pretty incredible when you think about, it. you know, it wasn't, you know, Kyle Guy just putting him on their shoulders and making a winning basket like it was against Auburn. It was, you know, Kihei Clark tracking down a loose ball and then making a pass to Amamadi Diakite who – you know, sometimes we'll score for them, but you know he's you know a six seven point a game guy, like and not necessarily the guy you want taking a fifteen footer to save your season. And that was you know pretty incredible when you think about that aspect of it. Yeah, no 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 doubt about that. How how'd the brackets finish up for you guys? I know you had Wofford, Wofford, and Wofford. Yeah, so I didn't do very well in my all Wofford Final Four. What about you, Shane? I was in the 99th percentile in the, the ESPN no. tourney challenge. Oh, man. <laughs> but that oh, still geez. had me about 500 points below the uh, top people in that thing, which is pretty crazy. <laughs> humble but, brag. Humble yeah. brag. <laughs> but, uh, but, no, I did pretty well because I did have Texas Tech in the Final Four, and I think that was probably really? a fairly rare wow. pick. Yeah. Yeah. Chris Beard did a, did a good job with those those Red Raiders, and I guess that's a team that, that probably probably uh, will be in the mix. And I know it was, it was kind of just a, a great run for Virginia, but that, that Texas Tech team was was pretty impressive. So good call good call by you. Next year when we have this podcast still ongoing, we'll just have to do a Shane Bracket yes. podcast so everybody can get their picks. Shaneology. Shaneology. I will have to admit, though, this was the best I've done in years. I used to win these things all the time when I was a kid and then <laughs> got to be, you know, 30 years old and like went through a real dry spell until this year. So when I was a, when I was a freshman in high school and I'm aging myself now, I did my first bracket and uh, Richmond 
won me like $150 for their upset of Syracuse. So goodness gracious, I just I was a freshman or sophomore. I'm just really aged myself. What was that 88? Where Richmond pulled the upset of Syracuse? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. there we go. So there. I, I hadn't been born yet. No, so I, I don't a, know. You were even a twinkle in a Jersey Italian's eye back then, were you? <laughs> no, no, not at all. So Virginia, Texas Tech, uh, a good a good way to end the college basketball season. There's been some other Virginia, Texas type movement. You got Buzz Williams leaving Virginia Tech to go down to Texas A and M. And uh, that, that opened the door uh, for Mike Young, Wofford coach, uh, who led the Terriers to be a seven seed in the NCAA tournament. They beat Seton Hall in the first round. Uh, he's been hired at Virginia Tech, and that's kind of the first big domino, uh, I guess, in, the, in, the, in this state as far as college basketball is concerned. Mike Young, an ODAC guy, your guy, Jim. How do you think he'll do it at, at Virginia Tech down in Blacksburg? Well, when, when I saw he was hired, I just opened up that email that I still have, and I just kind of silently nodded my head and smiled. Uh, but, no, uh, he's a very – I, I, I like the non-sexy hires. I really do, and, and this could be the probably one of the, the least sexy hires uh, in, you know, in a while. I like – he's. it's a very Beamer-esque kind of higher in terms of, you know, in, in the, you know, kind of playing, but he knows the sport, uh, 55, 56, I forgot how old he is, so, you know, is this the destination for him as well, is, you know, he's a, if you want to get back to Southwest Virginia, you know, he just got back to Southwest Virginia. I'm curious what this does for uh, a guy like Zach Irvin from Gate City, who is committed to go to Wolford, who's on who's on JMU's radar a little bit on the men's basketball radar. You know, in the Bristol Herald Courier today, he you know Zach Irvin kind of says, "Well, I kind of got to weigh my options now." So I'm kind of curious what it does. Maybe some of the Wolford Virginia recruiting that he had going on. Uh, does it transfer over to Tech? Do these guys reopen? Uh, but I, I like it. I think it's it's going to be one of those struggles. I think at first, in terms of you know maybe Mike adjusting to the ACC and maybe the ACC or adjusting the Mike a little bit. Uh, but I mean, I, if if you're looking for a guy who's going to be there maybe for 10, 15 years, isn't going to bolt at the very next big job that opens up. I mean, Buzz Williams wanted to go back to Texas. I, I don't think that was you know a secret to anybody. People were surprised he took the Virginia Tech job in the first place because they figured he'd wait for a job in Texas to open up. So it's kind of, you know, yeah, when when this one came open, people have been talking about this for weeks. Like it was a done deal, you know, when Virginia Tech still had three weeks left in their season. Yeah, and, and in that same vein, Young wanted to come back to Virginia. So, I mean, is it did we just see two guys flip, you know, go to their destinations and Buzz Williams and, and Mike Young? You know, I'd be curious to watch that. I'm curious where it goes five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen years from now. That's a big time frame. I just came it, back. It, it is. That. It is. But uh, maybe there's some truth to that to what you're saying about Young, especially you think about him coming through the ODAC and some low mid majors and some some mid majors uh, to where you go to a Power Five in football terms, Power Five. Uh, program and now you have resources that you probably never even imagined of ever having. So I think that's probably a factor as well. You hear it on the football side also. 
Uh, so I think that's something to think about. And he was banging it with the big boys in the SoCon because, I mean, Forbes has turned that ETSU program around. I mean, if you're talking back in the 90s, ETSU was top 25. They were on ESPN. This is back with the uh, Mr. Jennings from yep. Culpepper. Yep. Yeah. And, I mean, this is, you know, the, and the, the Brad, the, the Knuckles kid from middle of nowhere, uh, he went to council, I believe. He was, you know, he was a stud on that team. And, and you know, now Forbes has kind of got that program not quite back. Where it was back they've been in the NCAA tournament recent years. Uh, last year, I believe, was there. They were in it as, as early as last year, and so I mean, it's not like he's been down there in this conference that he's just has owned with little or no work. I mean, once Forbes came into that conference, that conference kind of changed the way it was working, and it became pretty, you know, a kind of a headbangers ball down there for those basketball teams, and and so I, you know. I think that's what people might. Some people might forget is you know he's not coming from this Larry mid-major conference. He's coming from a conference in the past five six years has kind of you know become not where it was back in the '90s, but it's kind of getting back up there. And you know you had him top twenty-five this year. Yeah, yeah that's one of the better the seventh seed. You know? <laughs> better mid-major conference won a won a tournament game, played Kentucky, you know, fairly well. So uh, good job there by Virginia Tech to hire. Wofford's Mike Young. Shane, something I wanted to bring up with you. You you put out a story in today's paper uh, about some of the connections Tim Johnson obviously has with the Wofford program. What's the realistic chances that, that he gets in the mix for this thing down at Wofford? He's going to be a candidate for that job. I, I think he's probably going to get an interview down there. He's uh, we, we were talking in the office before. He's kind of the uh, Wofford equivalent of Lou Rowe here at JMU, he's a, you know, kind of a young up-and-coming assistant who's a beloved alumni down there who was, you know, a really good player for them. He, he's a, I believe their program's all-time leading rebounder, and he was a guard. Played for Young. Yeah, played, played for, for young. young, coached under him for four years before, you know, he branched out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, that... uh, but, yeah, no, I think he's definitely going to be a, a candidate down there. Um, probably maybe uh, – Jay McElvey, I think I'm pronouncing that right, is the uh, front runner for that job. I'd say he's the uh, top assistant under Young there, and I think he's kind of got the recommendation there. But um, you know, I, I think uh, Tim Johnson's probably going to get an interview down there and you know see get a chance to uh, tell them what he can do. Uh, that's really interesting, Johnson, a JMU assistant under Lou Rowe. What's is there a chance Mike Young would interview him for an assistant job at Virginia Tech? Is that a possibility? I would think it's a possibility. I at this point, when I was just reading an article about Young's hire, he wants to bring his whole staff with him, assuming they don't hire one of his assistants to take over for him at Wofford. So you know, it's kind of a wait and see type of deal there to see uh, who Wofford ends up hiring, and then you know just how many spots he has open on his uh, staff. But you know. Tim was really recruiting this area. Uh, he signed some kids from Winchester, from you know the D.C. area, to go down to play at Wofford. So you know his Virginia recruiting connections might uh, come in handy in that regard. Yeah, no, that, that's something to watch as far as James Madison's basketball staff is concerned over the next couple of weeks. Also in the CAA, a couple of hires have been made. Uh, Tony Shaver, obviously out at W&M. Uh, Dane Fisher in. Matt Matheny out at Elon and Mike Schragen. How do you kind of assess those hires quickly uh, within the conference? Um, the Dane Fisher one, it seems like he's got a lot to prove. Well, let's put it that way because he's you know replacing a guy who 
uh, William Mary took a lot of heat for firing Tony Shaver around the CAA, even around the country, even from people who follow you know the mid-major basketball scene. So hiring somebody who was an assistant at the level of George Mason, um, it's not necessarily a bad hire. You know, time will tell with that, but you know he's stepping into the fire a little bit because you know. There are a lot of people waiting to say, see, told you so, you should have kept Tony Shaver. <laughs> what's what's the toughest job in the CAA? What do you think the toughest basketball job is in the CAA? That's a tough one. I mean, it might be William and Mary because they have some, you know, they aren't making a lot of exceptions for getting kids into the school, which, you know, their, their uh, standards are pretty high there. Um, it's, you know, not out of the way, but it's, not the biggest school in their own metropolitan area by any means. You know, they're right there in the shadow of ODU. They're right down the road from all those Richmond, you know, schools. And, you know, it's just a tough thing. They've never been to the NCAA tournament, but for some reason their um, athletic director thinks that's the standard. That's what they should be doing. And, you know, maybe they should, but only one team from this conference is going to get in most years. And, you know, that's a... That's sort of asking a lot to say this is what our coach has to do when it's never been done before. Yeah, it's interesting. They, they've made two hires. Uh, she's made two hires, Samantha Hugh, the new athletic director there, that, that are very, very important. Basketball and then football uh, this past fall as, as Mike London uh, took over for uh, – for Jimmy Laycock, who had been there yeah. for forever. So uh, William and Mary going through some transition in, in both major sports. And, and i got to say, the, the, the basketball coaching carousel, not quite as crazy as the week that was in Harrisonburg uh, this past December when, when Mike Houston was figuring out uh, what he was going to do and James Madison was trying to react to it, get out ahead of it. Uh, and now we're, we're kind of starting to see that this spring as, as a new staff uh, is involved as we kind of switch gears and talk football a little bit. Kurt Signetti's first spring. James Madison is is almost almost done with this spring. They play the spring game Saturday uh, at, at one o'clock at Bridgeport Stadium. It's been a little bit of a different feel, I would say, uh, just from being there and did all the practices. Uh, much more up tempo practices. I would say probably shorter in terms of the length of practices. Mike would practice his guys two and a half three hours. Signetti's practices are pretty short, two hours, but. Uh, nobody's ever standing around doing anything. So I think that is kind of one of the big noticeable differences. Uh, and then just with James Madison, they've got most of their players back. So I think that's actually helped them in regard to this transition and the fact that a lot of the guys that they're relying on have have been through coaching change before. It's something that's, that, that's become a big part of this program. With that, and I guess my question to you, Greg, is with, with the spring game coming up, I mean, Six, six quarterbacks on the roster. We know that when we're talking who's going to start, we're probably just talking about three and Maloney, Johnson, and Danucci. Is there is anything going to happen at this spring game that fans can feast on or at the quarterback position? is it just Do they just take it with a grain of salt because that decision is going to be made during the, was being made during the course of spring practice, not so much a spring game, and maybe into the next offseason, or next, excuse me, into the summer season. Yeah, I, I, Signetti said there's no timetable for a decision, so I would think it at least plays out until August training camp. He gives some of these, some, some of these quarterbacks an opportunity to keep battling. I don't know if all three will be in the mix, but I would think uh, probably that, man, they, I would say at least – in early in August training camp, they'll all be. And I don't know if that's the case, if they'll cut it down to two. Uh, but I would say they're not going to name a starter yet. Signetti does want one guy, which I think is very important. Said something along the lines of today is I'm, I'm a 
I'm a uh, I'm a one quarterback kind of guy, and I, I thought that was really really interesting because some coaches don't mind. They'll they'll say, okay, you know what? If there are two guys that can play, maybe we go into that first game uh, with two and play them. I don't think that'll be the case. But as far as the spring game Saturday, uh, with the quarterbacks, watch them, evaluate them however you want. Uh, but just remember, everything resets come August, and then resets come this summer. I think it'll be an ongoing competition. Uh, the one thing I will say is Gage Maloney has looked very, very good this spring. Uh, looks like he's matured a little bit. He was the 2016 Mr. Football in the state of South Carolina uh, at a Northwestern high school, uh, same school that produced Mason Rudolph, that great Oklahoma State quarterback. Uh, it was. Yeah, I, I would be very surprised if Maloney doesn't push uh, Danucci by eh, Danucci for this job. That's what I ultimately think it'll come down to is Maloney versus Danucci. As Maloney has grown up a little bit uh, since since arriving a couple of years ago, that redshirt year I think helped them getting on the field a little bit last year. Uh, probably aided his development a little bit, and I think this year there's some there's some you know some urgency realizing you know it's about time to make a push or he's here he's gonna have to wait. Uh, another year or two before he gets a starting job. Are we under, am, are, are maybe fans might be underselling this tight end position battle going on too? I mean, it seems like a lot of tight ends, and if if Signetti's big thing is run the ball, then I think your tight ends come into play in two very big ways. One, obviously the blocking, and two, you know, little hitch passes in the play action to, to set up the run, little, you know, little drop-offs. And so, I mean, they got to be able to do both these tight ends, especially what I think Signetti's offensive game plan is. Are we underselling – are, are fans underselling that position battle? Because there's, what, five guys? There's, there's six, six tight ends on the roster. I'm going to go through them quickly. Dylan Stapleton, uh, Clayton Cheatham, Nick Carlton, Drew Painter, uh, Jesse Lane. Okay, so five. So five. Jesse Lane, the former Broadway high school star, of course. But I would say the thing to, to realize, oh, and Hunter Bullock, so six, the, the freshman who, early, who enrolled early. Uh, I would say the thing to remember, I think Signetti's going to use multiple tight ends on the field as much as he can, uh, at the, multiple tight ends on the field at the same time as much as he can. I think that's something he wants to do because it kind of falls in line with that run the football, have a strong offensive line, uh, whether that's two tight ends you know, on each side of the tackle or maybe one split out in the slot. I think you'll see some two tight end packages. But the, the, the battle for the starting job is important uh, because I think Dylan Stapleton brings some experience uh, after he transferred from Division II Slippery Rock last year and played very well for James Madison, especially down the stretch uh, in his first year with the program. Uh, and then Cheatham. Uh, everybody's seen what he can do when he's healthy, and that's the big thing with Cheatham is, is health. I think the depth, they finally have some depth. It's the first time they've been able to go through a spring or a camp or anything where they've had more than two guys practicing at that position at the same time. Does a hands guy win that job or a body guy? What do you, what do you think in terms of what Signetti's bringing this offense to? I mean, is it more is you going to see a hands guy out there more often or a body guy out there more often? I would say probably a body guy uh, just because – Signetti wants to go downhill. He's he's told the running backs they're they're going to try to lead the conference in rushing, going to try to lead the country in rushing. Uh, so I, I that's at least would be my take. But uh, if you're looking for the guy with the best hands, I would probably say Clayton Cheatham. I think I think he's he's a former quarterback in high school. I think he's probably got the best hands of the bunch. But I'd have to ask around a little bit. To well, get he's kind of proven that a little bit too when he's been healthy and played. I mean, you know, it's you know, yeah, he caught four he was, t- four touchdowns as a freshman. So. Exactly, he was catching the ball back, and you know, before the the injury bug set in on him. Yeah, so it's uh, it, it's kind of fascinating. I, on defense, just to flip gears a little bit on defense, I got a lot of experience back. 
so a lot of the same names. I don't know how many of them will play in a spring game because any kind of dinged up little injury, they just done done for the spring. Uh, but uh, you know, Rondell Carter, Rashad Robinson, Dimitri Holloway, all names fans have heard for years. Uh, at least for the last four or five years, so a lot of familiarity on the defensive side of the ball. Fans out there cringing that you're not saying Jimmy, Jimmy F. and Moreland when you're talking oh, about that defense. <laughs> Seriously, no, I, I mean, that, that, that is unique. For, that's going to be unique next year. I know they get Rashad back, but Jimmy was a heck of a player and, and one with an NFL future right now. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll all find out where he goes in the next couple of weeks when, when the draft comes. Uh, you could see him in Chicago, maybe. I know. Yeah, I know he had a visit to Chicago, uh, so that's something to think about. Maybe, maybe go to your Bears. So. If that happens, I'll be taking online orders for Moreland jerseys from any JMU fans out there who would like to get them. Uh, I just sent my old man to like the Bears shop downtown, and uh, <laughs> but there's like a ten percent finders fee on that. So uh, oh. just just giving you a heads up on that. Are you willing to pay the finder's fees? Uh, you know, there is this thing called the internet now. Where, uh, Again, you're killing me. You're killing you, you may even be using it to listen to this podcast right now. <laughs> yeah. okay. My dreams are gone. Okay, so spring game Saturday. I'll also do a full edition of the walkthrough podcast where you can get uh, your full JMU football fill. Uh, that'll be out Thursday. Uh, but... Uh, spring game Saturday at 1 p.m. Last thing I want to get to with the college sports, JMU lacrosse, 10 and 3 and 2 and 0 in CAA play after beating Delaware and Towson this past week. Shane, you're at the Sunday game against Towson. What's your take as, as they kind of try for their third straight CAA title this year? Um, they definitely kind of shifted their focus to that third straight CAA title. Those it. The start of the conference season, I think, came at a good time for them after uh, having that rough week with the UVA and Maryland losses, uh, especially kind of just getting blown off the field by Maryland. Um, but yeah, they've kind of they can look at that goal now. You know, maybe I don't think anybody over there is going to admit that they're not a national championship caliber team this year. But you know, and you never know what can happen once the, you know the tournament starts. But they're looking at the CAA championship. They're you know. That program for as many conference championships as they've won, and it's been Towson or JMU almost every year for the last decade and a half. Um, as many as they've won, they haven't done it three years in a row yet. Uh, so that's something that they're looking for as a step in the program. And um, yeah, they got off to a good start in conference play, winning a couple of games, and they've got a couple uh, on the road here this week. Really, I didn't. I didn't. They haven't won in three straight years, huh? No, they haven't. Uh, that was some. One of the first things Shelly said when I uh, started talking to her after the game the other day was, you know, that was a big thing for them is to get three in a row. What's what's their strength this year? And I know last year they, they could pretty much do it all. Uh, what, what's their strength with, with this year's group? It's defense. They're, they're a very uh, tough defensive team, especially, you know, Molly Dougherty. In, uh, in goal, she's been sensational here these last few games. Uh, I, I don't know if she ended up getting it, but she was up for the uh, Women's Lacrosse National Player of the Week this week. Which you know they don't often give that to goalies either. Like you know they'll give it to people who score the goals, and you know this fact that she was one of the four they listed is pretty impressive. Um, but yeah, they you know other than you know Maryland, who I think is just kind of a notch above, um, they've been able to shut down most teams' offenses. And then on their own offensive end, they're not the same kind of you know freewheeling you know team they were last year, where they had those senior attackers who had played together for several years and just were incredibly skilled with the ball. Um, they've got Hannah Haven this year who kind of takes a little bit more up on herself. Uh, they don't have as many assisted goals as they did last year, but um, 
they're getting enough offensively to get a job done in this conference play. Interesting. They they have a trip northeast this week at Drexel and then at Hofstra. That's Friday, Sunday. Uh, expectations for them this weekend? You think they'll they'll win both those games? I think they probably will. Uh, Hofstra's you know pretty tough team. You know they they like a they like their lacrosse up on Long Island. I was like, so. Shelly likes Shelly likes going back there, right? Yeah, I think so. Gotcha, gotcha. So, JMU lacrosse at ten and three. Uh, what else? What else you got going on? Softball? Any anything else? JMU wise, women's basketball? You need you need to touch on since we we're kind of touching on it all here with the college sports. Uh, meeting with Sean O'Regan tomorrow, so we can talk a little women's basketball, kind of wrapping things up next week, and uh, also trying to get out to some softball this weekend. So uh, we can touch on that probably after after I see them play. All right, so, 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 sounds good. By the way. Uh, I'm sure Sean loved that women's basketball championship. That was that was an that was incredible game. game. That was a fun game to watch, and then it's you know it still boggles my mind where people once again Twitter and streaming while I'm watching something is just boggles my mind that people just don't get the women's game or just you know their 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 line of defense against the women's game is to make snide stupid comments online. It should, I mean it, I mean Notre Dame was down what 17 or something like that came with like back. five minutes left and came back. It was just a, what a you know, what a great ball game, and That was just fun to watch. And I felt terrible for that Notre Dame uh, player who just missed the front end of that free throw. And, then hit. and she was the hero last yeah. year, right? Uh, what's her name? Abumbalali? Yeah. Yeah. And then hit the second. I don't know if she accidentally hit the second one. Uh, but I think so. It sounded like she was pretty upset about uh, making the second one. Yeah, I think because I was watching it in here while I was waiting for, for, for Winchester to finish up our pages, and uh, I think I think you could hear uh, the the Notre Dame coach Muffet McGraw say "miss it" and then she made it. Yeah, and <laughs> so that, that was pretty. And I liked how you know, you know, every every Baylor coach, you know, spent a really long time with her in the handshake line. You know, kind of letting her know, hey man, I we you know, there's countless athletes. Men, women, boys, girls who are who are in the, just have been in the same position you're just you were just in, and you know life goes on, man. And I mean that's because that's just got to be tough, just tough. But what a great ball game! That was fun to watch. I, I like that. You know, I, I kind of I think it takes a little bit more skill for uh, to for women's basketball in terms of because they're not flying around jamming at home and, and and you know breaking rims. I just like I like the more skill aspect of it. I think, and I may be wrong. Maybe it takes more skill to slam dunk, but I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I enjoyed the games. I enjoyed the game Sunday, and uh, you look you look at women's basketball just as a whole. Not to get on a women's basketball tangent on this podcast, <laughs> but uh, you know the the talent it seems like is spreading out a little bit more. Whereas you know it used to just be UConn, UConn, UConn. All of a sudden, you got you know obviously Notre Dame won last year, Baylor won this year, uh, Louisville's always pretty good now. Uh, it seems like the talent is, is not just going up to Connecticut, uh, and it's kind of spreading around and making the game a little bit more competitive with at least the top-level teams. And in my lack of knowledge, but in my, or in my casual knowledge, but however, the point to wit to that, it seems like that the gap between major and mid-major conferences is kind of growing in terms of... You know, and I maybe am I wrong in that? Is, may, am I wrong in seeing that? Maybe Shane, maybe to some degree, but um, I feel like you know we look at the CAA. I think that's going to be a good conference next year, whether or not they get the credit when it comes time to, you know, make the selections for the NCAA tournament. We'll see. But um, JMU's bringing pretty much everybody back. Towson, who won the conference tournament, is bringing pretty much everybody back. Drexel, who was number two in the league, they're bringing everybody back. So there's you know, three or four potential NCAA tournament teams in the CAA next year. Um, I think where you see the big difference maybe compared to the men is, you know, your top 10, 15 teams, there's a big 
jump from there to maybe the number 25 team in the country. But I'm not sure if there's a huge jump from number 25 to, you know, wherever JMU falls into the mix there. So the women's basketball season wrapped up Sunday. Good stuff from Shane there. I'll be going to JMU baseball this evening. They play Virginia. The Dukes will try to avoid their eighth straight loss. Uh, tough team to do it against, but but we'll see what happens. Uh, but that'll do it for our little college sports roundtable there with Jim and Shane. And I'll bring in Cody Elliott now, our prep writer, uh, as we talk prep sports. Uh, not a ton going on in the area right now. You're, you're into the spring season, but not quite to the point where you're talking about conference races and uh, getting ready for postseason. So let's kind of just start. What have you been up to? What have you been writing about? over the past week or so, and, and what do you got kind of on the horizon uh, before we start into get, before we start getting into a couple of different things, Cody? Uh, yeah, I think last week you saw a little bit. We talked about it last week. I thought that last week you could see a little bit more separation. Um, you know, it's still early in the year, but you can kind of start to see who's kind of separating themselves as the better teams in the district. And I think across all four sports, um, and, you know, even if you want to include tennis as well, but you want to look at the, the both soccer programs and then um, baseball and softball, I think, in all four sports there, you're starting to kind of see who are the top two or three teams at least. You might not be able to tell who's going to win or who's going to run away with them, um, but I think you can kind of see who's kind of separating themselves at this point. Um, and, you know, as this week there's a couple of big matchups tonight, there's a couple of big matchups later in the week um, in several different sports. So I think, you know, over these next couple weeks, we'll start to see more kind of who are those teams that we could be making, you know, deep runs with into the regionals, into the possible state tournaments. Um, you know, right now, it's just, we've still just been kind of filling everybody out right now. And let, let, let's start with softball. Uh, a couple of teams that have separated themselves from the pack. And th- two of them, I say, I'll say were expected, and that's Turner, Ashby, and Broadway. But what about Spotswood? Are, are they kind of the surprise of the early season, at least, at least on the softball side? Yeah, I think they're they're a really young team. Um, you know, they've got some experience there. You know, they've got Elizabeth Ritchie. Um, she's going to Norfolk State next year, and they but they've got some sophomores who have really stepped up. Um, Emerson Atkins has three home runs already this year. Their pitcher Caitlin Fletcher, um, she's been huge. Um, the one game they lost, they they were leading uh, by four runs going into the bottom of the seventh, and they ended up blowing the lead. But they've really been, you know, consistent. They they've been there, and, and then tonight, actually, that's where I'll be tonight. They'll, they're playing TA, and that's kind of their first test to see, you know, are they on that level yet? Um, we know what TA is capable of. We know how good they are. Tonight will be kind of a test to see is Spotswood in that tier with them. Um, you know, Broadway was supposed to play Spotswood last Friday. The game got rained out. That would have been a good test. Now they get thrown straight into the gauntlet with TA. So we'll kind of find out more about that team tonight. But they've, yeah, they've been a surprise story. Six and one right now. Um, you know, under a first year head coach, Brooke Hensley, they've got to be happy with where they sit. I was going to say that the post Missy Hand era uh, <laughs> is off is off to a good start. Turner Ashby, Broadway continue to do what they do. Uh, what what what's just jumped out to you about those two teams uh, early on is as they're kind of meeting expectations at least for the first month of the season. I think what's been most impressive about. Well, for Broadway to start, I mean, you know, Taylor Hankins gets so much attention, and for right reasons, she's she's arguably the best pitcher in the area. Um, but 
you know, Grace Fravel, another sophomore for them, has really stepped up this year. She's thrown a perfect game. She's been big at the plate. Um, she's kind of been that second option for them that's really helped them off to such a good start. And then you look at T.A. and, you know, Michaela Sizik and Carly Davis, the two Division One signings, they get a lot of attention. Um, but it's been a, it's been the freshman, Mackenzie Sizik, Michaela's sister, and then um, some other sophomores who played last year as freshmen who have really just kind of come into their role. And that's what, you know, T.A.'s coach has told me, Clint Curry, said that that's really been the key for them right now. They sit at 9-2, and two and it's been those younger pieces stepping up and kind of growing up quicker than they anticipated. And now, you know, I think as long as those pieces keep coming along, I mean, I think T.A. is really primed for a, a deep run. Uh, interesting. And, and T.A. baseball, they're starting to turn it around a little bit. I know it was kind of a slow start with a younger team. What were they, 3-3 three, three and three early on? Or, uh, yeah, I, th- I think they were sitting at, yeah, 3-3. Three and three. Um, You know, they, they lost a couple in a row there. And, of course, they lost to Harrisonburg, which just that kind of jumped off the charts to everybody. But um, we said last week that we thought this team could, you know, once they settled down and grew up a little bit, we they'd become who we thought they were. And, um, you know, they, they – Get a 15 nothing win over Waynesboro. Um, they get a win over Fort Defiance, uh, and that was against Tristan Shoemaker, who's their UVA commit. So a couple of good wins there. Um, I think this is a team you look at statistically across the board. You know, we published our stats page today, and you look across the board in the Valley District. Um, a lot of their players rank near the top in most of the categories. Um, you know, I think it's one of those things where as the season goes along, like we said last week, I think they're going to continue to just get better and better. And you know, who knows what could happen once the playoffs rolls around. So have you seen have you seen TA baseball in person yet this year? I have not. No. Um I've I've we have Tom Jacobs going out there tonight to uh, cover the Spotswood game, which is another big one. I mean, that there's a, that's just another example of a big game tonight. Um, you've kind of got the same three schools over in the baseball side with Broadway, Spotswood, and TA. But, um, yeah, I, I think that they're just a young team that's really coming along. Um, you know, they they lost so many pieces last year, and I think that sometimes that gets overlooked. People kind of expect programs like TA just to pick up where they left off. But, realistically, they had to go through some growing pains, and I think as, as the year goes along, we're going to continue to see them get better and better and better. What's what spots would like on the baseball side? I know no more Dan Oderkirk. He's over at West Virginia now. Uh, what's what's that program look like at this point in the season? Are they young? Are they old? How how do you assess the Trailblazers baseball team? They've got some experience, and and I think they've got some depth in terms of they don't necessarily have that big name, you know, like some of these other teams. You know, they don't have a Bryce Suters or, or a Tristan Shoemaker or, or somebody like that, but they've got some guys that just like to play baseball and, and make things happen. Um, I mean, they went over to East Rock and just – crushed the ball last week they scored 19 runs in five innings um you know and that was off a good east rockingham pitching staff it's not like you know east rock isn't isn't a good team so um they've just got some guys so they can hit the ball well um they've got eli lamb on the mound who's a, who's been a strong pitcher caden ludholtz a sophomore's been coming along so they're a team that's kind of you know much like the softball team is kind of sneaking their way in there and could find themselves you know in the race at the end of the year i know friday you're looking forward to uh you got Harrisonburg boys soccer hosting Spotswood and and that's a nice little rivalry there uh, between between two local programs what uh, what's important about that game and how, how do you think it plays out well, I think that's just, I mean, in my opinion, it's the two best teams in the Valley District this year by far in terms of boys' soccer. Um, you know, Harrisonburg's been really, really good. And obviously once the postseason rolls around, they go over to Class 5 into Region 5D. And so they don't see each other in, in the long run. But just in terms of during the regular season, I mean, you take pride in, in your cross-town rival. Um, they're both very talented teams. They're both really good. They're both teams that I think have, you know, a chance at making a run to their respective state tournaments. So, 
I think Friday night will be really the, the first real test for them uh, both. I mean, through district play so far, neither one of them has been really challenged. So it'll be interesting to see how those two match up on Friday night. And Harrisonburg, they, they actually get a nice little student turnout there for soccer. I know mm-hmm. I covered a couple of their playoff games last year, uh, postseason games in the state tournament. And there were a good, good number of Harrisonburg students that get involved with Blue Streak soccer. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I went there um, earlier this year, and I was I was surprised to, to see the turnout. I mean, it was a cold evening when I went, and it was it was quite the crowd there. So, yeah, it'll be interesting. Um, that, that's that's going to be a big game for them. I know you also got one of your favorite events, track, on, on Wednesday. Tomorrow, I uh, get to go out to a track meet. Uh, track, it's just kind of getting started. What's, uh, who are some of the best, I guess, track leads in the uh, in the area? Well, I think there's a, there's a lot. I mean, you you go across the board. The, the Valley really is one of the better areas in the entire state in terms of um, track athletes. I mean, it has been for a very long time, and it continues now. I mean, we've seen that recently with Broadway winning a state championship. You see it all the time with individuals winning it here recently. Um, just in the indoor season, we had multiple um, individuals and relay teams win it. So, um, you know, you look across the board, you got the TA 4x400-meter uh, relay team with Sam Quisenberry and Grant Swinehart and some of those guys. And then you've got, uh, of course, Jessica Cantrell at Broadway. She, she's still in school, huh? She is. She is. In her last semester, she did off to JMU to run in the fall. Um, but, yeah, so she finally got that state ring that she wanted in indoor season. Now she's hoping to get another one in outdoor. But, yeah, I mean, all across the board, um, you know, East Rockingham has got a lot of big names. There's just a lot of really, really good, tr- strong track athletes around here. And um, it, it actually will probably be pretty fun tomorrow to see, you know, kind of all those names all come at one place um, and, you know, see how they compete against each other for the first time. Yeah, no, no, no doubt about that. And then, yeah, track track athletes, they do seem like they're in school forever, but it's because, you know, there's the <laughs> winter and the spring. And then also a lot of them run cross, cross country. country right. So you see their names over and over and over well, and again. Can, can, Jessica Cantrell has won so much. And, I mean, it's just – it's. I think she's probably been in regionals at least since she was like a freshman. So, you know, we've, it's just been a four-year thing nonstop. So, yeah, I, I completely agree with that. Yeah, as you say, like not – in, in football and basketball, not all the time the freshmen get to play with the varsity. Right. So, but in track, a lot in cross country, a lot of the times these athletes get to go yeah. uh, and, and participate at the varsity level as soon as they mm-hmm. step on the team. Yep. Uh, so, so that's that's kind of what makes it interesting. Okay, Cody, good stuff. Uh, we'll we'll get back to you next week. Uh, probably do a little more around the horn uh, talk, and unless something else pops up at, at the high school level, uh, but good stuff from Cody there, and that'll do it. This week's edition of the Rocktown Sports Pod had a nice long college sports talk conversation earlier with Jim and Shane. Uh, so for Cody Elliott, Jim Sacco, and Shane Metlin, I'm Greg Medea saying thanks for tuning in.